What's up, independent agents? Are you driving your clients off to the carrier self-servicing platforms after the sale just to minimize your service demand? Stop doing that with the premier mobile and web agency solution, Glovebox. Now you can keep your clients in front of your agency at all times, all while delivering the carrier self-service experience that will minimize your service costs and absolutely wow your customers. On top of that, Glovebox will help you increase your cross-sales, referrals, and overall retention with an easy-to-use policyholder interface. Trust me, guys, we're using this at Portal Insurance, and this is literally happening. We are selling policies and servicing policies through our app. Schedule your demo with Glovebox today and be sure to mention the Insurance Guys podcast for 20% off of your subscription for the life of your account. Guys, it's so cool that I can tell my clients, download the Portal app. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for I Protect Insurance and Financial Services based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Saraland, Alabama, parade first team All-American, rivals five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? Great, Scott, how are you today? Best I have ever been. Bradley Flowers, I just got back from the mountains. Three days, three nights at the top of Gatlinburg, Tennessee, had a fantastic time. And then I get back to the office this morning. And as it always happens, and every insurance agent listening to this right now will be right on top of this. All hell breaks loose as soon as I get back in the (laughs) office this morning. So I am proud to be here though, guys, we've got a very special podcast for us. Bradley, you got to tell our audience, I know they can't see it, but you've got this enormous water buffalo tatanka in the movie with uh kevin costner what was it called dances with wolves tell everybody the story of the buffalo behind you uh so the reason i have the buffalo painting and some of you that subscribe to my youtube channel uh we we did a video on it but basically uh when and i heard this on another podcast but when a storm rolls into the plains instead of running away from the storm the buffalo run into the storm because it gets them through the storm the fastest. So not only does that speak to like business, like you hit problems head on, you'd be like the buffalo, Mm. but being in coastal Alabama, we literally deal with storms and sometimes we have to uh, run into them figuratively speaking. So that's the reason for the buffalo. Guys, that's what I've always told y'all on this podcast. If you're going to be an agency owner and you're going to be a leader, you got to run into burning buildings and not out of them. And I've got about yeah. three. I've got three this morning. I've got to run into three pissed off clients that are waiting with bated breath. Scott Howell to call them and make it all better. Don't, don't tell them you recorded a podcast first. I won't. I won't. <laughs> but we started this podcast and I said I got to put my phone on airplane mode because if I don't, it's going to ring four thousand times during this podcast guys we got a lot to talk about today and we have a fantastic guest and i want to bring him on and give him the introduction that he has always deserved today as always our mission on this podcast is to help insurance agents in any way we can this guy has got what i call the it factor he is a fantastic dude i've gotten to know him on our facebook group but more importantly When we stop kidding around on that Facebook messenger group and he starts talking insurance, I I listen because I can tell just in what he says on that messenger group Mm -hmm. that we have that he really knows his stuff and he has got his agency dialed in. So without further ado, let me bring him on the show. He is originally from Mount Olive, New Jersey, and he currently resides in San Diego, California. He is a 2001 graduate of the University of Maryland, and in 2005, he joined the Independent Agency Channel, serving as both agent and sales manager, overseeing a team of 26 agents and account managers. In 2010, he was named the president of Fusco and Orsini Insurance Services. The firm specializes in commercial insurance with an emphasis on construction And the firm's growth over the past 12 years has enabled him to focus on consulting with clients on risk management, compliance, general business, and technology. 
Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to introduce to you first-time guest on the IGP, and I can promise you it will not be the last, Mr. Mike Fusco. How are you, Mike? Scott, you're so good, dude. I think they need to hire you over in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to right, Bryant I, Denny we would, we would, We would not be friends anymore. Yeah, actually, let me refrain that. I think the Auburn Tigers need a new. Uh, Auburn has got a jam. They up. need a. They need a lot of new stuff right now. <laughs> they need now. a lot of new <laughs> stuff Auburn, fire guys. over there. Guys, yeah. if y'all aren't keeping up with what's going on at Auburn University's football program right now, do me a favor. Walk out to whatever business you are. Throw a can of gasoline in the dumpster and light it on fire, and you will be watching firsthand the Auburn <laughs> University football program at work. We may just give up football at Auburn before this is all over with. But I've always wanted to get up on the uh, at Bryant Denny or Jordan Hare Stadium and do the ladies and gentlemen. You can mm -hmm. you can purchase your official game day program yeah, at any of the Jordan Hare exits. I've always wanted you're to do something. Auburn Auburn does have a very 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 good announcer as a very and, and you actually that you sounded pretty close to him. But you know what's funny is he looks nothing like what you think he would look like. You would think he's this big guy like Scott with a deep voice. He's he's really not. He's like, hey, guys, how are y'all? Yeah. Uh, hold on, I got to announce something. Ladies and gentlemen, please yeah. welcome ba basically, basically, our friends it's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's like me trying to be Scott, basically. Bradley, we're not going to tell the story <laughs> that Mike Fusco, which I begged him to tell on this podcast, but, you know, it is far be it from me to hide from the truth. Bradley does a very, very good job, folks, of being my liaison between the insurance industry and myself because he knows <laughs> and you do you do a fantastic job that the truth has always come out of my mouth and a lot of times bradley will stand between me and whoever else is on the other side to keep from me getting to that person and saying what i really think and he, he no, can't have do the that perfect, it's the perfect partnership man <laughs> it is it really is i want to tell a one city world tour story that I have not told yet. Okay, so let me, before Scott says that, Scott Howell's stories are, are my favorite, man. <laughs> like, when he hops on the video, posts something on Messenger, man, that's my, like, entertainment. So, Scott, I'm going to, I can't wait to hear this. So, uh, the reason I bring this up, Mike, is, is you and I both have a public service announcement for all of the insurance agents listening to this. And what our job is to row the boat just a little closer to the lighthouse every week. Guys, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something today. It's a public service announcement. Mike Fusco will back me up on this. If you're going to have a party, office party, employees, team members, spouses, whatever you do, whatever happens, it doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't matter when it is. It could be Christmas, could be Halloween, could be anytime. Do not let people. Write this shit down. Do not let people get shit house drunk on tequila. And I'm about to tell a story as to why that is. So Mike and I have had a conversation about this. I have seen this in my lifetime firsthand, but the night that the one city world tour ended, which was the 21st, we went till about three o'clock. A lot of people went home after that, had their luggage, got on a plane, went back. I was staying in Denver until Sunday. That day, the last day of the One City World Tour was my wife's birthday. And I took her out. I rented a, a guy that I got to know while I was out there, brings in a uh, kind of a, a limousine type vehicle, and he rides us around Denver and shows us a bunch of stuff. And we were out with some other people, another couple. And my wife's dream, because she loved the movie Coyote Ugly so much, is she always wanted to dance on the bar at a Coyote Ugly. So we ended the night at Coyote Ugly, which was about four blocks from our, our hotel. <laughs> and Brad, I, haven't, I haven't even told Bradley this story. That's how embarrassing this story is. But far be it for me not to tell the truth. See, I can't be the liaison when the stories are about him. I'm just right. like, go right ahead. And when they're getting this good, you got to just let she, it go. She goes to Coyote Ugly. I take her to Coyote Ugly about 8 o'clock. Nobody there. There's like 10 people there. Because it doesn't fill up till 10 or 11 yeah. o'clock at night. It's a late night type of spot. Right. She starts dancing on the bar, which is kind of what you do. The girls behind the bar are dancing on the bar. Well, they take a shine to her. They like her. She's getting up there and she's doing all the stuff. And they start taking bottles of tequila, not shots, not shots. It's okay to do one, one shot of tequila, maybe, maybe two shots. But after that, you got to cut it off. They are taking shot uh, bottles of tequila. 
and she's lifting her head back, and they are pouring bottles of tequila in her mouth. So it's probably three or four shots at a time, and they do that like five times. Oh. We get back to the hotel about 11 o'clock, and she goes and gets in the shower, and I said, hey, I'm going to go downstairs and smoke a cigarette. By the way, I'm desperately trying to quit right now. I thought you did quit, man. I, I'm still working on it. It is a pro, it is a working pro. I promise you I won't quit today as much shit is going on at my agency. <laughs> I, I hear that. So she gets in the shower, and I said, hey, I'm going to go downstairs and smoke. Well, and I go downstairs, and all of us are down there. I go downstairs, and Aaron Farmer grabs me by the arm when I get out of the elevator, and he's like, you're going to drink with us. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Finally, I just I was like, okay, I'll go. So. Go in the bar. Bradley's there. My A bunch of people were there. David Carruthers and his wife. Bunch of people are at the bar. And I start, we had a couple of drinks. And then after a couple of drinks, I, Bradley and I get to talking and we're going to go outside the hotel and go get in more trouble. And I'm like, you know what? I think that sounds like a brilliant idea. <laughs> just about the time that happens, just about the time that happens, my wife sends me this text message, and I'm not going to say what it was, but it was the worst. He showed it to me, and I was like, you need to go upstairs. <laughs> I, I was, it was the worst text message she's ever You're seen. Like, dude, change your plans. Guys, girls, listen to me. I got on the elevator to the, I believe it was the eighth floor, Bradley, or the fifth floor? Eighth floor? I, I walk in our room. Y'all, she has packed everything we own in the suitcases. She is sitting on the side of the bed, like as I walk in the bedroom, and she looks at me and she goes, I want you to take me to the airport right now. I'm going home. <laughs> I hand to God, that's what she said. And I, and I said, I said, look, I go into sales mode. I said, look, I tell you what we're going to do. I'll tell you what we're going to do. Because I knew what it was. It was about 12 shots of tequila is what it was. Yeah. She was. You weren't down there that long. She was, was maybe furious. 30 minutes. She was furious. Furious. I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Let's spend the night here tonight. And if you get up in the morning and you want to go to the airport, because we weren't going, but coming back home till Sunday, I said, if you get up in the morning and you still want to go home, I will get an Uber and we will, we'll be home tomorrow afternoon if that's what you want. So she agrees to that. Wakes up the next morning, looks at me and she's like, what happened? What happened last night? Why is all of our stuff packed in suitcases? You're like, I mean, we had a great night. Everything was good. Everybody was in a good mood. I did not definitely not stay down at the bar with Riley for two hours. Everything was great. We had an awesome time. Yeah. She kind of remembered it. She was embarrassed. Did it come back to her a little bit as the day went on? Uh, yeah. A little bit that, of that. That has to happen, yeah. But I'm telling you right now, without telling Mike's story, need to avoid at all costs people drinking bottles of tequila at parties because it will end badly. I can promise you. Not a good move. Hey, Mike, before we get into our podcast today, I want you to go back in time with me, get in my DeLorean, and just go back to your time when you left the uh, University of Maryland after you got your degree and talk about how you got in the insurance industry and bring us up to today. Yeah, man. So I, uh, I left Maryland 2001, go Terps. We, I had some buddies that were, had came, come out to the West Coast, specifically San Diego, that graduated ahead of me at Maryland. So I was like, yeah, man, you know. I was going to go back up to, to the New York area, which is, you know, where my family was, a lot of my friends. And I said, man, I'm going to go check out San Diego. So I went out here in the summer, 2001, and never went back. So long story short, I got my first insurance job with Geico, the famous lizard. Got to start somewhere, Mike. Got to start somewhere. Got to start somewhere, man. So I got my job there in uh, 2002, you know, learned we all we did was sell auto. <clears throat> I was on the phone for a year. Then I got in a supervisor program. Uh, had a team of agents left in 2005 to go to an independent agency. And that agency is where I learned specific ENS, but particularly construction, right. because we were 100% a construction shop. It's literally all we wrote. The agency wrote about 50 million in premium. You know, we had, when I first got there, over 50 people, all construction. So you guys can imagine what that was all about. But uh, <laughs> it was a crazy place, man, but it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Um, I was at you know, I was independent, kind of had to learn on my own, commission-based, got on the phones, called the Blue Books, got it leads any way I could, and grew a book, grew a pretty nice book, became the sales manager there. And when 28 and 2009 hit, you know, the construction industry took a major downturn. So I said, you know what, man, I got to diversify. I need to get into other industries. The agency owner I was working for didn't really have interest in that. You know, he had other outside mm -hmm. businesses, other revenue streams other things he was focused on. So I left and started this agency in 2010. And since then, it's been uh, all about this, man. 
So it's been a lot of fun. A lot of challenge, but a lot of fun. So let's go back for just a second. I find this wildly interesting. What did you learn from Geico when you were there? Something that you, these agents can like take from, because I've never had anybody on this show in 200 and some odd episodes that worked for Geico. There has to be some stuff there that, Oh, oh, no! I'm doubt. talking about positives, like things. You oh, yeah. You're like, hey, I, I need to carry that on with me. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Their training is, is great. You know, they're there uh, to learn how to be efficient, to learn how to bring a customer through a sales call. Did you guys work track? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah we, I mean, they tracked calls. They, they listened to calls. They, you know, they tracked, uh, you know, objection handling. They tracked, you know, the level of, exper- of expertise with the client, how well you treated them. I mean, it was everything. They really taught you ethics uh, in terms of selling policies the right way. I know there's a there's a misnomer, I think, in the industry that, you know, Geico just writes the cheapest, you know, dirtiest policies out there. I think in my uh, one year, you know, I met Metrics to be one of the top agents and I sold, you know, over 1,300 policies in a year. So you can imagine the amount of efficiency, multitasking you need to do. You know, documentation, they were really big on documentation. You know, everything you did, you really had a document, which, you know, something that I, that we practice very closely today at our agency. I think right. documentation is imperative in the insurance industry. Um, so yeah, man, that, that type of stuff. I met a lot of good people there. I have a lot of friends from there that are, that I still, that have grown in the industry, you know, yeah. some are still there, but a lot kind of went on and did their own thing. So, so what, did, what did they pay you guys on commission? Did they have, did they give you any commission or was it a straight salary job? That's a great question, man. So it was hourly. And then there was no commission. It was a bonus structure. Gotcha. So if you sold a certain amount of policies, you hit a bonus, but you wouldn't get paid out until I think at that point it was 90 days later. And any policies that fell off the books, any attrition, you wouldn't get paid on. Right. So if you sold 120 policies, you thought you were getting a $500 bonus. 90 days later, 100 of them stayed on the books. You know, you just got a, five, a $300 bonus or whatever right. it was, you know? Right. So yeah, but no commission, obviously no residuals. Yeah, right. Yeah. You never talked to the client again. Yeah. I went to a completely different department after you. Sure. Servicing department. So Mike, the reason we came on this podcast today with you, and I think we're going to have to be very, we're going to have to walk a tightrope today because I know for me, it hasn't been too terribly long ago that I did not understand a lot of what we're going to talk about today. What we're going to talk about today is agency build accounts. Yep. Excess and surplus. So let's go all the way back for those people out there that generally, maybe they're a captive agent and they only sell state farm, or maybe they're new to the independent world. They sell more of the standard. Yeah. The blue yeah, blood the, stuff. The business. That yeah, for sure. Down, downloads into their AMS commissions and all the stuff. And they just don't really know much about it. Talk a little bit to them about what, you know, excess and surplus is and what agent, what we call agency build before we really get deep into this. I think they need to know that. Yeah, for sure, man. So I look at it as a different marketplace for insurance. That's how I think of it. You know, the excess and surplus marketplace, whatever you want to call it, you know, a lot of carriers that write in that space are non-admitted, but to me, it's a set, it's a market. I don't know if you want to call it a secondary market because you know, it's not your, your mainstream carriers that write this stuff. You know, it's not right. your Liberty Mutuals, your Hartford, you know, people, a lot of times customers never heard of the carriers. So it's really a, a whole separate marketplace for insurance products that you can't get or can't secure in the preferred or standard market. Agency billing means that your agency is 100% responsible to build the, the, the account. So you're, you're getting the invoice. So you write the policy, you're getting the invoice. You know, and what you do with that invoice, whether it's, you know, you collected the premium in full and you're, ret- and you're retaining your commission and then paying it off or you're financing, whatever it is, agency bill, meaning you're billing it, it's on your statement, it's on your invoice, and it's your responsibility to get the carrier paid. Right. And to go a little deeper with this, for those of you that don't deal with a lot of agency build stuff, it is expressly written in your contract that through this broker, wholesaler, MGA, whoever it is you're doing this excess and surplus through, you are responsible. Your agency is responsible for anywhere, depending on the account, between 25% and 35% of that down payment. So what does that mean? If I'm the agent and I'm selling a 
fireworks manufacturing plants insurance and let's say it's doesn't matter the amount but let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars in premium and the down payment is 25 percent. once i tell that underwriter once i email that underwriter and i say bind this account my agency is now on the hook for 25 percent of that hundred thousand dollars is that right that's correct yep 25 percent minimum earned premium it's also something that you, you hear it called a lot, uh, meaning that that is earned. The second you bind that account, that 25% is earned, is done, it's, it's, it's accounted for, and you're, you're responsible. You are responsible. And we have, on multiple occasions, I would say three or four times, by the skin of our teeth, not had to pay a carrier a lot of money, $10,000, $20,000, where somebody decides after the agent has told an underwriter to bind the account. Hey, by the way, I, I, I just got back with another agency and they're cheaper. I don't want that anymore. 30 minutes after we bound an account. It happens, man. It's for the audience. I think something that, you know, especially for people that don't, or that don't know ENS real well or agents of billing, it could be dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Absolutely. I think that's where you're, yeah. What Scott's saying is if, if you don't know what you're doing, and, and I'm not, not saying that your agency doesn't know what they're doing. I'm just saying, you know, we all learn some, you know, sometimes we learn lessons the hard way. Right. And if you make a mistake and don't really have the processes down and, and know how you're, you know, how, how that business works, you could really, you could cost yourself. A lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah. So let's talk about those processes. That's why you're here today. I want you to help these agencies and, and help me because I think sometimes there's a lot of moving parts here with agency build accounts, which are typically going to be excess and surplus. And one of the big things that we've struggled with, and I think we've probably got our hands around it as good now as we've ever had, is we now write so much excess and surplus in our agency that, guys, you got to remember, this stuff is not downloading into your AMS system. So if somebody, whether it's the agent, the account manager, a VA, if somebody is not creating that client shell and then inputting all of the policy details into an RAMS system, which is Hawksoft, by the way, then there's just not going to be anything there. So you've got this policy that's been sold and your agency, besides emails from the, from the producer to the, the, the broker, that's the only thing you really got unless the broker that you're using as kind of the middleman here has like a dashboard where you can go into a place like a RPS dashboard and see your policies. But there is no record of that stuff. And some brokerages, some MGAs don't even have a dashboard. You just get like a, a, lot of a, a monthly yeah. statement from that broker. You're absolutely right. And I think uh, something that I realized early on is that, you know, the checks and balances fall with you, right? right. The, the carrier is not going to catch something for you. The GA is not going to catch it for you. You know, the client is not going to catch it for you. You have to catch it. You have to have processes in place, workflows, and you have to have very, very efficient workflows, processes yeah, in place that make sure that you don't miss anything and nothing falls through the cracks. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, Scott, because we almost act like an assembly line. Yeah. Really, that's what we are. You know, it starts in stage one and it ends on stage 10. Right. And everything that happens in between there is heavily documented. People have certain jobs that they do throughout the process. And I think that's something that you bring up and that it's really important for the audience to know is that it should never be interrupted. You know, interruptions are where things really could go wrong on ENS business, agency build business. Once you start a process, you want to finish it. And again, I've learned that the hard way. Uh, I've been doing this stuff for a long time and I've learned my lessons in, in ways that have cost me. But, you know, you really need to be focused on doing it the right way and not missing any steps in the process. So let's stop right there. We've described what excess and surplus is. It's going to typically be something that a nationwide state farm, travelers, guard, state auto, auto owners, all these blue blood, what we call blue blood carriers aren't going to want. And it could be because of, and I've always called it, an, it could be an exotic risk, right? Yeah. Some, something that's so far out there that it, in their risk matrix, that every yep. underwriter has access to within their company, it's too high for them. And they're like, ah, we don't want that. It could also be maybe somebody just started in a business and they don't have a lot of experience. So the carriers are like, 
uh, we might ride it two or three years from now, but they've never done this before. So let's let them go excess and surplus for a couple of years and then come back and see me. That can yeah. happen too. That can happen too. Yeah. I call it above normal risk for great. some people. That's a great other term. people. Like you say, I call it and above normal risk is, could be someone who's new. Right. But I think also Scott, one thing that we need to keep in mind is that in certain industries and in certain you know, classes of business, the ENS marketplace actually provides a better form then agree and people miss that well I, let me say this i'm going to raise my hand and say before i got into excess and surplus like really got into it if you'd asked me that five years ago when i was a captive nationwide agent my thought process was well the form that excess and surplus on is not going to be as good as what you would get with a nationwide or a all you know exactly. it doesn't matter which carrier but the blue bloods right and that yeah that's not it's not the case no. And a lot of times the forms that those blue bloods offer, you know, may have certain limitations, exclusions, things like that, that are in them that as an agent, you need to know. And if you're working with a certain client that's involved in certain operations, you've got to pivot and go outside the box, which is what I like to call ENS. You know, whereas the blue bloods are kind of in the box of underwriting, you go outside the box and you, you're really putting something together for them that works for them. You know, you're, you're removing forms, limitations, adding things that, that nature. I'm not trying to get too complex here, but yeah, you're right on, man. And um, it's funny that you say, like, I, I'm sure you've seen this, but a lot of those blue bloods nationwide, Hartford, Liberty, now they're, you see them developing arms. Right. For the ENS business, you know, purchasing sure. carriers, you know, nationwide Scottsdale. Yeah. Uh, didn't they buy AIG his cops or somebody? Yeah. Hartford has Maxim, I think. Yeah. Liberty has, uh, I forgot who they have. Who do they have now? I don't know. Iron Shore? It might be. I'm not sure. But anyway, yeah, man. So, I think even the the blue blood carriers are realizing there's definitely it's, it's a marketplace that they can't they can't avoid or they can't ignore. You know, you see them getting into it more. But well, and and also, let's just face facts. the The way that the insurance industry is going with all of the natural disasters and all the things, and it seems like a lot of carriers are kind of trying to consolidate into the Midwest because they don't have quite as many of the. $2.4 billion natural disasters, you're seeing more and more excess and surplus lines policies being written throughout the country. No doubt. No doubt. And, it, and I think it's cyclical in a lot of ways. It is. You know, when I first started in commercial in 05, it was right after kind of 9-11 shook the, the financial world. And right. almost everything you wrote was ENS with sunset clauses, manifestation clauses, you know, all types of restrictions. And then it started broadening up again. You know, when when carrier loss experience got better and then you see you start seeing some of the preferred carriers come back in and eventually they'll exit, like you're saying, Scott, because there's just too many catastrophes. Right. Too many losses. And they have to tighten up somewhere. Right. And then you see people starting to write more ENS. Right. So let's stop right here. Let's stop right here. I think we've done done a fairly good job of creating this baseline for the industry and the people in the industry on what, like what is excess and surplus and agency build and all of that stuff. I think they've probably got a little bit of an understanding of what that is. Scott Howell works for you, Mike. I work for you. I'm one of your team members. I'm a producer in your agency. I write a piece of excess and surplus business because I've gone out and met with an exotic risk they want to do business with us. I come back to your office. I quote it through. And I guess that's my first question. How many brokers do you guys work with or, or, or MGAs? How many How many do you guys work with? We have a, a, a good 20 or so, but you know really? we have our favorites, of course. Yeah, we have a good amount. We're also surplus lines licensed. We're a surplus lines broker ourselves. Okay. okay. In the state of California. So we actually in a few states. So there are some carriers that we're directly surplus lines license, for example, like USLI. Right. Well, we'll write our business direct with them, not through a wholesaler. And right. we do all our own tax filings, all our own surplus line association filings, diligent search reports, everything on our own and do our own filings. And you do that because you make more commission per policy off that. You do. Yeah. If you're going through a wholesaler, then you're obviously not making the, the average is like 10% new. Yeah. 10% new. Maybe you'll get 12 and a half or 15 if you're lucky. Right. Well, we and then, 22% from, because the wholesaler is taking, you know, if right. the carrier is paying them 22%. Sure. They're taking, they're, you know, they're taking 12 and giving you 10. Correct. Correct. And they're adding a fee. Right. Exactly. And, and, hey, all, 
In Alabama, they're, they're adding more than one. There's usually about four different fees on their state and federal yeah. policy administration fee, blah, blah, blah. So, okay, well, I, I work for you. I come back. I quote excess and surplus through one of your 20 MGAs or brokers or whatever we want to call those. I'm going to write the policy. Go yeah. through go through the process that you use, that you and I have had discussions about in the past on kind of how, what, how that process works from – Scott writes the policy. Now what? Now what happens? Okay. So here's, before we start about the process. So the process of quoting, proposing, and getting signatures and payments is number one. Right. So we have templates that are all predefined with language, uh, coverage, acknowledgement forms, you know, subject, whatever we need to disclose. Let me stop you right there. You're not utilizing the MGA's template. You're, well, you're, taking, you're taking that information and you're putting that you're, I, well, excuse me, Scott's putting that on our agency's template. Correct. Okay. It's, it's, it's our commercial template is, is predefined. It's ready for use for every one of our producers. It's 10 pages long. It has all the, the, the language and, and legal disclosures in it. We're putting all that information in it. The client signing off. We're doing a coverage acknowledgement form. Again, predefined checkboxes, D1s, SL2s. Everything is sent the same way every time right. we're collecting signatures and we're collecting payment before we ever find a policy. Oh my God. Yes. Folks, if you don't get anything outside of this podcast for you young bucks out there that, that are going to jump into excess and surplus agency build stuff, do not bind that policy until you get some money, whether it's a down payment, we're going to get into this in a minute. We're going to get into, because I don't think a lot of people even understand that those agency build accounts are pay in full accounts. So you've only got two options. Option number one, get a paid in full check or credit card, depending on what kind of setup you've got with places like ePay policy. And I know there's some others out there that you may use, Mike. Or you can do what we call a premium finance agreement. We're going to get into all that in just a minute. I want to, I want to make sure you guys understand that. But Mike, I have sold the policy. I've used our template. Now, here's my question about our template, because I'm a newbie. I've only been with your agency for a week, but you know I'm a rock star, and I can sell shit out of some insurance. You're the man. So on our template, are we breaking down all the fees and the taxes and all that, or are we just lumping all that in? Oh, we're breaking it down, man. Okay. And we're putting initials next to every fee we charge. And every state that we write in has its own broker fee disclosure. Right. And our clients are initialings right next to the fee. That broker fee that you're talking about, that's your fee on top of the... That's our fee. We also show them the the company fees, the inspection fees, the surplus lines taxed, how much is earned. All that stuff is right in there. Uh, You know, if there's going to be finance fees, we we told them about that. So everything's disclosed, broken down, line item by line item, we're in our template. Okay. So we've done all that. I've I've given them the proposal via email and I've called... Yeah, DocuSign. They DocuSigned it. Yeah. Right. We got it back. I got now. Now we got to the payment screen and this policy, because this is a uh, electric bull riding manufacturing plan out of Indiana. And all they do is they build electric bull riding bulls for bars and county fairs. That's all they do. That's the only thing they do. Now, that, guys, we know there's no risk in that. Nobody's ever fallen off an electrical bull. No, and people never ride them after a night of tequila drinking. No, never. So the policy premium on this, because this is a high risk on the matrix, right? This is high risk is, is going to be high. I just had to tell the guy that owns the electric bull riding manufacturing plant. This is a $250,000 policy is the premium. And he's like, well, hell, I don't want to pay it, but hell, there's only about three carriers that'll write this. And this is the cheapest I found it for Scott. So yes, I want to do it. $250,000. Yep. But I don't want to pay it in full. Because I want to keep that money in in my operating account, Scott. So what's my other option? So what we'll do is, and we're going to get the premium financing. So here's how the here's how the process works. We get the signed proposal, comes back in DocuSign, it comes into our email. We make sure we have payment. If it's a new customer, they're paying with a credit card. Our accounting department is running the credit card payment before. Only, only credit cards on full pay? If it's a new customer, yeah, credit cards. It can be a down payment or it can okay. be a full pay. But we want, we need the credit card because, you know, the bank takes too long to let you know if the payment went through. Sure. Um, so we're not buying any coverage until we know we have a credit card. 
If it's a repeat customer, they can pay with a check, no problem, ACH. Once the payment goes through on the credit card, find the coverage, we open an activity in our AMS. This is where the process comes in, okay? The first activity is process. We assign it to our CSR. Process means that we pull all the documents on there, create the summary of insurance, and they have to enter the policy, like you're saying, Scott, in the AMS with the TBD waiting for the policy number. Now, who's who's doing that again? Is it the producer or the account manager? That's the CSR. Okay. Well, either the producer or account managers, mostly the account managers adding it in. Okay. But if they're assigning it to the CSR. Gotcha. At the same time they assign it to the CSR, they open up a policy check activity. And that, that stays what's a open. Policy, what's a policy check activity? What is that? So that means that we will wait for the policy to come in. That activity will stay open until we get a copy of the policy. And we check it to make sure everything's accurate. The coverage limits are right, the deductible, the classifications, uh, the, the address, which is really important. So here, this is what you're saying, checks and balances, making sure nothing falls through the cracks. We're making sure that that activity stays open until the policy is attached. We also open a pay activity. Pay activity gets to our accounting department, and this is where all the finance comes in. So, you know, we're making sure we run payment, invoice payment, disperse to the carrier, whatever percentage is due to them. Right. And then yeah, set up right. the premium financing if it's due to them. Okay. Pay activity gets closed once we get the notice of acceptance or a pay in full invoice. And uh, we have a welcome kit activity. Once the binder, we get the binder, we have a bind activity for the actual binder and the invoice. Um, so... I'm probably getting a little complex here, but no, no, keep going. I think these people need to know this because this ain't Kansas no more when you get into this world. Yeah. It's, it's a different world and it, you have to be dialed in, you know? Yeah. No doubt. So yeah. For one policy, long story short, you know, there, there's five, six activities on one policy that get assigned to different people, you know, CSRs, account managers, accounting department, and everyone has their role in that process. Are you sending them out the physical policy? in the form of like having somebody in your marketing department or a account manager put the binder together and actually mail them a binder with their policy? Or is this just being done electronically where an account manager downloads the policy and then forwards that to them via email? So they've got a copy of it. Great question. So we, we pull it in on the policy check. Once, once the P check activity comes in, once the policy comes, we pull it on there, make a client accessible. Mm -hmm. Once it's client accessible, it goes into their portal, their client portal automatically. What do you use as a client portal if these guys are getting into this? Like, is there CSR 24, part of applied Epic? Okay. We Epic's okay. our management system. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so we pull it in there, make a client accessible, and then an automated email goes out from the management system telling them that that particular policy came in and it's in their portal. Okay. And that email saves in their in their file. And and they have access to that portal through username and password. Correct. And then what happens? So then, you know, you get the binder, you get the binder invoice, you have the policy. I think, you know, the accounting has to happen. You know, yeah. you said this before, agency bill, that's probably our heaviest load when it comes to ENS business. You know, you need to make sure you transact payment, receipt payment, invoice the policy, pay out the carrier, finance the policy before your accounting's done. And this is where I say that it cannot be interrupted because yeah. if you interrupt that process, you will forget something. Right. You will either forget to pay the carrier or set up the financing, or you'll forget to run the, the, the insurance payment. Something will get missed and it will come back to you, you know, 30 days later with either a can notice of intent to cancel because your agency bill wasn't paid off or a pissed off customer because they didn't see the money come out of their bank account. Right. Or it, it could be several things, but yeah. you, get it. you know what I'm saying, Scott, you know what it, how it goes. So let me ask you this question, because there's a lot of people that listen to this po podcast that don't have applied Epic as far yeah. as their management system. Yeah. And you're a technology savvy guy. I think you I think you low play that, but I think you're a lot more tech savvy than you let on. Is there another portal that somebody like Scott Howell could utilize outside of our management system because I, I don't think our management system has like a portal for customers to go in maybe it does and i just don't know about it hawksoft right yeah it does it probably does huh i need to check on that and see yeah like a customer portal for them to log in and get their stuff but is there anything else outside that agency could utilize to if they're writing a bunch of excess and surplus business uh, an outside portal that that you could take this stuff, put it in, and then give clients a username and password? That's a great question, man. I'm not, I'm not sure because I've always had it attached. Before I came to Epic, 
before I moved over to Epic, I had AMS 360. Another billion-dollar idea by Scott Howell. Guys, I'm just here to give you guys money. That's all I do. If anybody's – Mike's working now. Look at Bradley. Bradley on. Flowers, ladies and gentlemen. Bradley Flowers. That has never happened before. My entire – everything on my screen, including my mouse, froze except you guys. Wow. We missed you, Bradley. We missed yeah, we did. you. Scott, let me ask you this. The glove box guy, is there an app? But do they have a is it there is there a desktop portal too? Well, there yes. is, but they have not yet turned on the functionality for commercial insurance. They're, oh. All their stuff right now today is uh February the 10th, 2022. February 10th, 2022. As of today, they don't have a commercial portal, but that's coming real quick. Okay. Something like, like that will be really helpful for people. The, uh, their their portal it allows you to go in it's pretty cool so it allows you to go in and set up your client's account in there that way you know because initially you're relying on them to set it up and that sort of thing you know we all know people don't do the things that we ask them to do but you can go in and say hey miss jones i've already set up your glove box account here's your policies here's your link boom so mike scott's written the policy now the first thing i got to do guys before we talk about binders and and all this other stuff and the activity matrix that mike has in his agency i ain't binding that damn policy till i get payment and mike brings up a good point let's say it's a hundred thousand dollar policy the carrier is wanting 25 percent of that right and your agency's on the hook for that 25 percent. if you let a new client write you a check and let's say that check gets somehow it gets delivered to your office or, or however it gets there and you put that in the bank and then you go, okay, we got his check. We put it in the bank. So now we're going to go ahead and bind it and we're going to bind this policy. What happens five days later if the bank calls and says, hey, that check bounced? Exactly. You're screwed. It, unless you can get that money back from them. You know, sometimes you get that whole, oh, I'm sorry. The money must not have been in there. Let's try it again. Have them run it through again. But I liked your idea of doing nothing but credit cards. Mm-hmm. so that it hits instantly for a new customer yeah customer we don't know and again yeah. i'll say this for the 10th time on this podcast i have learned the hard way yeah get here. Uh, yeah. does the customer pay the fee or do you pay the fee no we pay the fee and, okay. I, and i'm and i'm glad to pay the fee to make sure that the funds are there that we're not going to lose thousands of dollars and just paid for this guy's minimum earned what do you mean by fee because there's going to be some people out there that don't Credit understand what fee. you're talking about Credit card fee. Oh yeah, credit. Card. And I assume, I assume you guys have like with your vendor, you have like a cap on that to some degree. Yeah, like- we do, man. And you bring up a good point, Bradley, because we have two. We have two payment forms that we offer. One is without the fee, and one is with the fee. So for a new customer, we only allow them to run credit cards. So we can't charge. Technically, we really shouldn't be charging them a fee because we don't give them an option. That's how I think about it. If it's a repeat customer and they are they can pay with a check which doesn't cost us anything then we will charge them an admin fee to use a credit card because we're giving them the choice you know you can use you guys know what i mean so as someone who's been in purgatory for the last 30 minutes and could not hear you guys you and i spoke last week about your accounting practices which is something i'm always trying to fine-tune in my agency and you mentioned that you guys have almost like a centralized all accounting stuff goes to one person and that person sets everything up. If you have not talked about that yet, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we did slightly just with Scott. And I talked about our pay activities, but yes. So I told Scott early on, it's, it's like an assembly line, you know, and in the assembly line, everybody kind of plays their roles. So we kind of mm-hmm. move the policy through the different stages. And part of that, the role is the accounting department. So we make sure that the people in the accounting department, all their jobs are is to, is to account to, to work in the system, run payments, invoice policies, pay statements, finance them, mm-hmm. you know, anything that has to do with the transaction or any money is yeah. done from just our accounting department. The producers, the account managers, CSRs, principals, don't touch yeah. it. And what I like about that is when you have, you know, Matt Namoli with GNN Insurance, they have a, a, Matt said a few things to me before he's like, such and such owns this pipeline. Like this function is their thing, right? And what I what I mean by that is like when you have the same person doing the same task every single time, it gets done in a consistent way. Because yeah. even if you tell Sally and Brenda to do it the exact same way, there's going to be slight variations in the way that they do things. Correct. Which when you talk about an insurance agency, the only way we win is volume. When you're talking about volume at scale, that small, small, you know, 1% difference can make a ton of, uh, oh, ton of effect, you know? Oh, dude, it's huge. And 
and no balls get dropped. You know, that's the big thing when you're dealing with agency bill and the ENS business, you can't have people dropping balls. You know, you, you can't have the ball. People, it's on you. You know, the ball falls on you, man. And if someone forgets to do one of those tasks, yeah, you know, there needs to be accountability too. So I know, and we all know in this office that if a, if a policy doesn't get set up for financing and mm-hmm. 30 days later, we have the carrier looking for that balance because we paid ours, but you know, there's still a $10,000 balance because the finance company never paid because mm-hmm. it wasn't set up. Yeah. We know who dropped the ball. We had so, one recently that Mike yeah. helped me with that I'll tell now because it's been, it's been solved actually is yes. we had a client on a, on an engineering account it. that, uh, you know, policy that he, uh, had a job that required him go from two to $10 million limits. And, uh, we made the endorsement, uh, generated a $16,000 increased premium. And we're like, Hey, this, Hey, all, you know, uh, Mr. Smith, that wasn't his name, Mr. Smith. Um, we can actually add this to your financing super easy. It's like the best, it's like the easiest $16,000 upcharge anyone's ever had in the history of insurance. And he's like, okay, cool. So, and then you know, like, you know, a couple of days went by my account manager reached out to him to, uh, to get the signature on the change of finance agreement. And he said, peace, I'm canceling. I went somewhere else. And uh, this is someone we had pretty good rapport with. Yeah, and normally, normally we would not make that endorsement until then, but uh, until we get the payment. So uh, or we, how we ended up solving it is the return premium was more than the endorsement. And I convinced the MGA to take the endorsement amount that was due out of the entire premium. And then they sent the difference to the finance company. Oh, okay. which left the deficit and the agreement with the finance is between the finance company and the shirt. So they're, they it's, I'm out of it now. Good. Um, and uh, thankfully my, my broker helped me do that, but uh, you get into some weird, you know, some of these agents in like friggin' Nebraska that are selling Safeco and auto owners and Liberty mutual and everything downloads. And you don't have to worry. Like you get into some weird stuff, man. When you get it's into a whole different business. world, it's a whole different world. Yeah. Well, hey, Bradley. Like two different businesses. Bradley, you're out of it till that guy gets a damn letter from a damn credit agency wanting uh sixteen thousand uh, dollars. He knows it's coming. He already no, we are we already we already set the precedent with him that like, hey, you're gonna have to pay this. Yeah. He know what he did. He knows what yeah. he did. Yeah. He tried to pull a fast one. So the one part of this yeah. we left out, Mike, that I want to make sure we go over is the premium finance agreement. Yep. Which depending on the size of the account, if it's a twelve hundred dollar account, then yeah, they're probably just gonna pay in full. If it's a $120,000 account, they're probably going to want that set up on premium finance because guys, when you get into excess and surplus agency build, they will tell you, you got one option. It's paying full, except there's a caveat to that. We can do premium financing. So yeah. go ahead, Mike, tell them about PFS. PFS is good stuff, man. It's good <laughs> stuff. So uh, <laughs> no, it's um, basically, the, basically the premium finance company is paying the premium in full. Yes, less the less the minimum earned. We always collect the yeah. minimum earned and any fully earned fees. Okay, so we collect the minimum earned if it's like Scott said, twenty five percent, it's a hundred thousand dollar policy. You collect that twenty five grand. You collect your fee. You collect the broker's fees, inspection fees, company fees, whatever other fees you can think of. They throw in there. You keep your your commission. You remit that to the insurance to the general agency. The balance of seventy five thousand comes from the premium finance company, right? Mm-hmm. And there's interest, obviously. And a lot of times it's pretty hefty in interest. And, but because uh, you're only financing it for one year, it doesn't really right. work out to be that much. Yeah. And it's not. Some people wig out when they see that. Though. They do wig out, man. They do wig out because they're used to paying like, you know, maybe they're paying an installment fee for seven bucks every month with their mercury policy. But, yeah. you know, now they go to pre- premium financing and they see like an 18% APR. They're yeah. like, what the heck is this? Right. Mike, do you tack on through your premium finance company that you use in your agency, which yeah, capital premium. ironically enough, all these, uh, I call them brokers, like the RPSs and all these other, they will send the quote with their premium finance. Oh, of course. They want to do the financing. Man. Sure they do. Sure they, they do. They earn the producer uh, do, do you utilize one per- premium finance company and then they put a few points on there for the agency? Yes. Like a, like a set. Like I know we've got our set at four, 4%. That's exactly and that, what and that changes on state guys. Don't just assume you can do that. Some states don't allow you to do that. Yeah, exactly. Some states don't. And we only use one finance company, premium, premium finance, capital premium financing. I, 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 I love them. They've yeah, done yeah. a great job for us over the years and everybody has their, I mean, there's a lot of great finance companies out there. Yeah. I think, uh, uh, I think you should in the, in, if your state allows it, 
you know, so we charge a, uh, you know, an agency fee on, on all ENS business. And then we also charge a, an additional fee if we finance it. Um, because it adds, there's, you know, it adds more frustration, more legwork has to be done, you know, in that case. And it also incentivizes the customer, Hey, and it, it's a small, very, very small amount, but you don't want to pay this small amount, you know, paid in full. Uh, what yeah. do you guys do, Mike, uh, fee wise? How do you, how do you structure your fees? Not for, not for finance, but just like ENS policies in general. It's a good question. Um, it's nothing too formulated. We base it on premium. A lot of times, you know, we, we ask if yeah. it's construction, you know, if it's a new customer, we'd like to know how many certs a year they, they tend to have to issue. Yeah. Uh, if it's a repeat customer, we know. We know the yeah. amount of workload that we, we probably do have it down to a science. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's nothing predefined or set. But, you know, the heavier the account, the more search we're issuing, the more service we're doing, the more times they've been in cancellation the year before, you know, we're going to charge a heavier fee. And again, I told Scott before, like we, the fees are fully disclosed. They're, they're right in front of the customer every single time. Yeah, they initial next to it. They initial next to it in bold and they know what they're paying us to be there. And I think I told this when I spoke to David on Power Producers a couple of years ago, I said like in the industry, I've seen over the years, like agents are afraid. It seems like they're afraid to charge customers their, what their worth is. Yeah. And I think on ENS business and the agency build business, you can't be afraid to charge what you're worth. I mean, you, yeah. your customer needs to know what you're worth. They need to know what they're paying you. And oh. if they don't want to pay you what you're worth, then... They can go out to they can go down the street to another agency, right? I mean, well, I th- let me let me interrupt you right there. I think what the problem is I find with my agents is by the time you put on all the fees and taxes and this fee and that fee, I think there's a little bit of fear of putting that additional agency fee on there because these people are already seeing six or seven fees on top of that fee. And so they're like, uh, yeah, I think there's true. some trepidation there that, Hey, well, yeah. we're already, they're already asking me all these questions about these fees. Now I got to answer, you know, while we're putting an agency fee on there, I think there's trepidation with that. Well, the way you have to think about it too, is, you know, let's say you have a, a $15,000 policy, right. And it's direct bill, right. There's a certain amount of work that's going to directly correlate, typically speaking, generally speaking, to that $15,000, right? Well, now let, and, and you get 15%, that's kind of industry standard, you know, consumers typically know that that's about what we get paid. So if yeah. you take, you know, an ENS policy, that 15,000, there's about 3,000 of that that's, if not more, that are fees and taxes. So you take that out. And, and then, then 10%. And then you're getting 10% yeah. of 12 grand, which works out to be about seven or 8% of the whole thing. Right. So a lot, you know, a lot of times you have, I mean, we, you have to make it worth your time because in some cases it's not going to be, you know, again, depends on your state. Um, it does. And so, the market will dictate that. I think Yeah, hundred percent. market dictates. And what Scott says is a great point, but I think that the big picture is, is that the market will dictate what you're paying and what your fees are. Yeah, right. And that as, as agents and, and knowing what we're doing and being good at what we do and supporting the client and providing the service, you know, we, we need to charge what it's worth us to charge to be profitable. And a lot of these ENS accounts, you, you will lose profit quickly. Yes, I mean, you can get you, you know, think about it. You know, if you're writing a $5,000 account and you're making 500 bucks, you know, 20 certs later, if you're paying yeah. your CSR 25 bucks an hour or whatever you're paying, exactly. you know, you just, that 500 bucks profit is gone. It's gone in, well, in that- months. That's, that's why I'm, I'm so big on, on tracking how many service activities we do in our agency through agency zoom, because you can, you can then correlate cost of service. You know, if this task takes this long and the person who does it gets paid this much, I know it costs me, you know, $3 to issue a certificate or whatever. Right. Well, then we can correlate that to an account. So we know that a, you know, a hairdresser is going to cost us you know, $600 in service throughout the year, obviously hairdresser wouldn't, but you know, $600 in service costs throughout the year. Therefore it doesn't make sense for me to write a $6,000 policy on that account anymore. Our minimum needs to be set at this. And it's not something you can do overnight. You know, you have to, you have to put these processes in place to create these service tasks and associate them to accounts on like a 12 month span before then you can go back and say, okay, this is about what it costs to service these accounts. So many people come in and it's all about new business, new business, new business revenue. We don't care when in fact you're actually running your profitability in the ground because you're signing up a bunch of accounts that are not profitable. A hundred percent. And then, you know, then we're not even talking about the claims and the audits and everything else that comes later on. 
So yeah, you got to be, you yeah. got to know, you got to be smart about it. You got to know what you're doing and you really got to look at each account. Like, Hey, is this worth writing this account? Remove yourself from the potential dopamine hit you get from writing the account and put yourself 12 months down the road and say, what kind of issues could come from this account? And would I have written it otherwise? And a lot right. of, because we all have those accounts. You're like, I would have never wrote that. Oh, dude. Yeah. You know? So put yourself in those right shoes. Now. And what we found is like, like as I've gotten, and I'm not that old, but as I've gotten older in this business, there's less and less stuff that I want to write. It, it makes people like Carruthers and, and, and some of these guys that, that have niches, because it's like, you know, if we try to, if, if portal tries to do something out of our wheelhouse, it, usually there's something that pops up that adds some kind of stress or lack of profitability Dude, on that account. And it's always, 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 I just want to write it. Like, I just want to write it. Like I want to win the account. It's, it, it's always associated with that. So put yourself, you know what I'm saying? Unless it's a niche you want to get into. You know what and I mean? That's I was also why producers are producer hard. while my computer was frozen, strategizing, going after some service contractors that we don't currently do right now. But that's something I want to do. You know, it's a yeah. niche that we want to go into. So that's different. Yeah. And it's but, why producers, it's hard to have producers because they're not going to look at it like you look at it. They're going to mm-hmm. think, well, I need to make come my one, commission. Come all. Yeah. They want to write the policy. They want to earn the commission. But at the end of the day, when the trouble hits, who's dealing with it? Us agency owners, right? Well, and, and, and guys, that's, that's why always you have to pay them well. That's why you gotta pay them well. This has been the age-old conundrum for captive carriers for years when they set up new agency agent programs. And if they're not careful and they're not paying people enough, they start writing just terrible business mm-hmm. because they're just trying to make numbers because the the carrier has set this thing up where maybe they pay. a policy and you've got to write so many policies a month to stay in that program. And before long, guess what happens? You're, you're down at the used car lots and you're writing stuff. (laughs) You know, normally you just would not write. No, no, it's true. Just to make it through the program. And so that's an age old conundrum. Hey, Mike, I got one more question before we get off this podcast today. And this was this is something again is selfishly I, I wanted to find out from you because I know your agency size you, you you guys got a pretty healthy agency over there. How do you handle renewals on agency build uh, excess? One supplies? one quick question, Mike. Just one, just quick just question. One small question before we get off here at one thirty in the afternoon. <clears throat> so agency build. So we have two different processes for renewals. One is automatic or direct bill. And the other is manual or agency bill. Right. We handle the renewal on agency bill accounts the exact same way we would handle a new account. Okay. That's ENS or agency bill. Right. The exact same way. It's okay. you're doing it again, man. Yeah. You're doing it again. You're getting the subs. You're getting the accords. You're getting updated figures. You're talking to the client. You're getting lost runs in your file. And you guys and are heavy applied users, right? So you're probably using India or something like that. Yeah, we use India. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're doing the whole, you're doing it again. Are, is the producer getting paid new business commission again, or are they getting paid renewal? Renewal, but our renewal and new business percentages are the same. Really? They're exactly the same. And in fact, something you said before, and something that I thought when I was at my old agency, and I promised myself I would never do again, and I'm not saying it's wrong to do it, but I would never do it again, is pay people strictly commission because it begs for problems and it begs for people stretching the envelope or you know fitting things into places where they might not normally yep. do that if they yep. knew they had a good solid structure again i know there's a lot of agencies out there that do pay commission only to producers and hey if you make it work that's cool but for me i want to make sure my people are paid well yeah and the commission portion of it is not the largest and it's, a, it's an incentive to keep growing your book and retaining your book but it's not going to be the bulk of what you're earning at this agency um, but yes they do get paid commissions on renewals the exact same way they would on new business do you mind sharing what your percentages are for new business and renewals? Yeah, man, absolutely. So it starts at, we start at 15 with, with new agents. 15% um, on new business and 15% on renewal? Correct. Okay. And we go up, we have some that are 25 now. What's uh, that based they, on? It's based on their tenure. Okay. Yeah, and I, I don't even look at the revenue size. I, I base it on tenure. Uh, I base it on their performance. You know, each year we do performance reviews. But and then you're also paying them a salary too. Is that yes. right? To keep our people get paid shitty business. Our people get paid very nice salaries. Yeah. 
we get profit sharing. Uh, we get a real nice retirement. Not to mention structure. you're in California, so the cost of living, so your salary is probably way more than it'd be anywhere else. Yeah, the cost of living here is, you know, it's, it's it's through the roof. But you know, we want people to buy in to the big picture. Good retirement plans, good healthcare plans, profit sharing every year. We have we also have bonus structures to go on top of commissions for certain you know times of the year. But yeah, man, I mean, I just I look I want it to be stable. Uh, I look at stability as being important for people. And, you know, my tenure, our tenure proves it because yeah. we've had people here from, we typically don't lose people. If we do lately, I shouldn't say that because I, I think I told you guys as friends, you know, we had a couple of account managers leave to Marshes and the Gallagher's of the world because they poached them with bigger salaries. But sure, what are you going to do, right? Yeah, I had the same thing happen here about three years ago. I lost two account managers to Jay Smith Lanier, uh, just paid them some, you know, not double, but probably a pretty good bit more than I was paying. And I just, I wasn't willing to, to match what they were yeah. to make over there. Sometimes you just can't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's end this podcast. We got agents out there that have been uh, selling just, you know, blue blood carriers. They want to get into excess and surplus and they want to start doing more agency build type stuff, which I think you said it best, Mike, it is too, completely separate businesses almost and how you do that. What, what advice would you give them if they want to get into selling more of that excess and surplus line stuff? I would say, forget the sale, forget the sale first. Don't worry about the sale. The sale can come. Yeah, It's not a hard market. I don't think to penetrate. I think you need to get your processes in order, you know, speak to whatever legal counsel you have, make sure you have your templates, your disclosures, everything dialed in and it's uniform so that regardless of who's selling it, they can use the same structure, the same process, the same disclosures, the same forms. So, you know, you're not a sitting duck. If something goes wrong, you know, get your processes in place first. Yeah. Understand how you're going to work the process on each deal and then start worrying about producing the business. Right. right. Producing the business should come second. Yeah. In my and, then, and then, and then once you do that, pick, pick your, your broker, your MGAs that if you pick a niche, they kind of specialize in that niche. So they've got a healthy group yeah. of carriers that when you go out to write whatever you're going to write, uh, assuming you choose a niche to do that with, that you can, you know, have plenty of places to, to, for them to go yeah. see what the rates are going to be for that particular Exactly. Niche. And also someone who is knowledgeable in that industry so they can tell you, you know, the, the different forms. Because you got to be careful with what you're writing too, yeah. right? You got to make sure... An ENS carrier is going to put forms on that they think they can get away with unless you know what you're doing and ask them to remove or ask them to change the endorsement. So you got to know that before going into it because you don't want to have to cancel rewrite. You know, then you got to explain to the customer why they lost 25% when you only had the policy for a month because they can't, you know, they can't get on the job and whatever it is, man. But it's complex. It's complex and it is a different business and you have to almost treat it like it's a whole different channel that you're, that you're working. Well, I appreciate you being on the show today. I'm, we're going to bring you back on. We've got a lot of other things we want to talk about. Maybe later this year, next year. I want to. I want to bring you back on because you are a wealth of knowledge. If these agents, if any of them have any questions for them, how do they? How, do, how can they get in touch with you, Mike? Oh yeah, hit me up. Uh, call me directly. My my direct phone at the office eight five eight three eight four one five zero seven. Email me, Mike at foagency.com. Hit up Scott or Bradley. Oh, yeah. you know, they know how to get in touch with me. And I'm happy to help any way I can. If people are looking to get into ENS, have questions on agency build processes, whatever, happy to help. Man, I appreciate that. And for the love of God, if you get in it, do not bind a policy that you get the down payment. Don't do it. And, no. let it, and let it clear your bank. Because I'm telling you, folks, you do not want to be staring down the barrel of $14,000 that you, the agent, owes some MGA or, or broker out there that, you know, you have a contract with, and they're like, well, sorry about your luck. When are you going to send us our $14,000 you owe us? Can I tell you one other thing too, Scott, before we leave? And then yeah. we'll wrap up. In certain states, a signed insurance offering is the agency or the brokerage is expressly consenting that they're going to buy in coverage. Right. So another reason why, if it's a new customer that you might want to think about collecting credit cards is because if you have signed documentation, you need to bind. You yeah. can't sit there and wait for two weeks to find coverage to make sure their check clears. Right. Because if they have a claim in that two weeks and you didn't bind, 
your ass could be looking at an E&O claim, right? Yeah, you got to so, be very intentional on letting them know you you are not bound that we get this payment. Exactly. And the payment goes through the bank because uh, – Exactly. So you may want to even think about not signing your side of it until that payment transacts and you know it's clear and you're ready to bind. That's smart. That's smart. That's the best. You might tip want to you, think about that. That, that. that might be the best tip you've given today is don't sign the application until that money's sitting in your bank account. Then you can sign it and send it in and bind it because otherwise you're going to be on the hook. 100%, man. Yeah. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. And as I say each and every week, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today. Go out into the big bad world. Build relationships with clients, with prospects, with other insurance industry experts. Go out there, meet guys like Mike Fusco who can help you become a better insurance agency, make money for your family, for your wife, for your kids, college fund, your husband, your parents that are struggling out there. Go make money for them. Write good business for the agencies that you represent and write good business for the companies that you represent. Mike Fusco, I love you. Love you, brother. Thanks for having me on, man. I can't believe this is only the first time. Anytime, brother. You're but always you welcome. Guys, I love what you guys do for the industry, man. You guys are awesome. And congrats on the, uh, I wish I could have been there in Denver, but I had some, some, I had to coach hockey that weekend. So, but Thank next you. time for sure. Priority, brother. I get it. I want to be two city world tour. <laughs> guys, you are listening to the insurance guys podcast. And we love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being a part of our family. And we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. We thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.